0: Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Good afternoon, Antonio. Where's this podcast find you? I am in the sunny Boulder, Colorado, have been since 2016. Oh, I love that town. My um, good friend of mine has uh, season tickets to the Broncos, and we go every now and then for a Broncos game. And I've always wanted to go to Boulder, um, but my, my Colorado adventures sort of start and stop with Denver. But I've heard nothing <laughs> but good things about
1: Boulder. <laughs> We're only 20 minutes northwest, so uh, come on over whenever you get a chance.
0: Yeah, next time I'm going to have to uh, build some time to the debauchery to, to make it up there. <laughs> so you're cor- currently the head of support at VHO. Uh, tell
1: me a little bit about uh, VHO and your role there. Yeah, so Vijo, uh is, first off, it's Latin for to carry, which will make sense after I describe the business here in a second. But um, what VHO is, is we are a last mile delivery service that uh, delivers for customer-centric brands. Um, so think uh, Uber, but for package delivery. Um, so we really focus on working with brands that are established around the country um, that also very deeply care about the customer uh, experience. Uh, and that's kind of one of the ways, at least, that we set ourselves apart from some other competition that that might be out there but my role uh, is the head of support um i started with them back in february of this year being 2021 it's kind of surprising to hear that to myself at least that i would have been here for almost 7 or 8 months at this point um but uh, i oversee a team size of currently um 85, um, and that growth is going to just continue surging uh, as we, as a company, have gone from 15 to 20 people in August of 2020 to where we are today, which is uh, a little over 315. Uh, so growth won't stop, which is a good thing, I think. You said 85 people, right? Correct. That is a that is a large team.
0: Is that <laughs> is that all customer operations and
1: and customer support? yeah these are these are a different business line or or different teams that support different lines of business so think uh, delivery operations uh, supporting our drivers on the road um, as well as the customers who are getting parcels from those drivers on the road Um, that includes our trust and safety division which is relatively new that includes a team that i uh, inherited which about actually three hours ago. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> that was a, thank you. Uh, that was under a different division as well. So, um, and then building up our support operations department, then our own training and development uh, department as well. So quite a bit of different uh, support responsibilities all
0: under one organization. Yeah, that's amazing. How, how did you first get into customer
1: support? Oh boy. Um, it was a long time ago. I think like my background, why I think most most of my experience has been with customer experience. It's kind of been all over the map um, with uh, trust and safety kind of really being like the inkling of my career, really focusing on um, moderation and online child safety, working with local and international law enforcement with online games and, then kind of pivoted to uh, customer experience as the kind of the nature of uh, virtual worlds back then I say back then as in like 2000 and I don't know, 12 maybe 11 which is like what 35 years ago yeah basically (laughs) uh but uh so back then not not knowing kind of like where that market and that industry was going to go kind of pivoted my focus to um really leaning and help building some customer experiences for, for different companies around the globe at a contract basis uh and then focusing in uh to one of my i think my initial starts Really kind of at the ladder of, of customer experience working for a company back in Minnesota um, that uh, was the world's biggest online uh, retailer for Halloween costumes, which we can get into how big of an industry Halloween costumes is, which I think would blow anybody's mind. But uh, a lot of scale, a lot of growth there, um, and then kind of moving to a role and. Colorado, where that brought me here in 2016, uh, with a company that's uh, intention and purpose or cause or passion was to encourage the world not to take itself too seriously. And the way we did that was through irreverent retail. Um, and uh, here I am now in, in 2021 with a new organization that's just kind of exploding throughout the growth. But yeah, a couple of different paths of, uh, of uh, career choices along the way. Yeah, that's
0: fascinating. You've, you've managed to think just thinking about the the retail space where now you are in viho you, you sort of worked for the the retailer providing support obviously to end customers and now with vho you're working on the supply chain or, or logistical chain is probably a better way to put it between those retailers and their end customers where now your customers are, you know, quite frankly, the, the, the people you used to work for. Maybe not, maybe not exactly, but. but No, that- that's
1: exactly right. And maybe even just for more context, the company that I moved to, to Colorado for uh, in 2016 happened to be Vio's very first customer. Uh, so I happened to be the very first uh, person that was holding Vio accountable to the customer experience and the journey. And here I am uh, three or four years later with them now doing the same thing on the internal side. Love it. So here on the support
0: automation show one of the first questions I ask people is and it's a great question because every time I ask it I get a slightly different answer and I think it helps drive the conversation about mm-hmm. about this whole concept and that is when I say the word support automation what's that mean to you
1: support automation that uh, can be looked at in a couple of different realms I think the the realm that jumps out the most um, is how do you is building automation to help support, the journey for external folks to be much easier, faster, um, more accessible. Um, and internally, like, how do you lighten the workload, uh, that is likely manual, manually done today, um, from the internal team. So it's a little bit of like a, a a half and half that hopefully complements each other. Um, but that's kind of the way I look at automation, at least as it concerns the support world.
0: Yeah, that's, that's beautifully put. And, um, if if that happens to show up in a, if if some version of that happens to show up in a capacity ebook or blog post or something in the future, just I'll, I'll, I'll raise a glass in a westerly direction in your honor. Um, So, you know, automation is a, it's one of those words where there's a bit of, it carries a bit of weight to it sometimes, Mm. right? Sometimes you could look at automation as something very positive, right? I like to, obviously i'm in the business of of believing it's a positive thing but it could also mm-hmm. be construed as scary right sure. where oh you're bringing in automation to replace us right and and you can point back to assembly lines replacing workers or the future version of assembly lines where all of a sudden you've you know you imagine a car getting produced it went from no assembly line to an assembly line with, with, with potentially less workers to now an assembly line with robots doing steps that used to be mm-hmm. uh, people. And then in, in sort of knowledge work or or, or white collar work. I prefer knowledge work. And in, in in the knowledge work sphere, you now have automation potentially it's not, you know, mm-hmm. Rosie the riveter, it's it's it's, you know, Annie the accountant or maybe that's that's potentially facing automation, taking some portion of their job. Sure. Why do you think people find automation scary and how do you work with a team, especially one as, as large as, as what you have at, 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 um, Vijo, where I'm, I'm sure there's automation up and down your tech stack. Mm-hmm. How do you bring that into the door organization and do so in a way where people don't distrust it?
1: Yeah, great question. You know, I think like the ideal balance between automation and humans is that they complement one another, right? We haven't gotten to the point uh, as a society to where technology can understand nuances of sentiment um, uh, as granularly as a human can. So like the ideal is certainly for the two of them to be complementary. Um, the ideal here is is your technology handles more of the black and white questions while you um, utilize your humans or your teammates uh, to handle more of the gray that don't necessarily have those black and white solutions or maybe needs a little more handholding as concerns in-depth problem solving to get to the right resolution that technology might not have gotten to as quickly. So I think there's, there's certainly the ideal there in terms of how to utilize it. And I think as long as technology is positioned to be seen as an aid versus a replacement, that's likely going to map out much better. You know, I think candidly, however, I think any of us in the support leadership space would be naive to think that, uh, there's, there's absolutely no, uh, replacements to be done as it concerns people with technology. I think candidly speaking there, there are right. However, I think if it's positioned, Hey, technology is going to come in and just take over everything versus, hey, technology is going to handle the things that you all likely don't need to be doing, that we can utilize you all more creatively in this avenue versus what we have been able to do in the past, I think the reception is going to be much better um, as opposed to the former.
0: Yeah, there's, there's definitely a trend in what I would call the best way to probably describe this is, and I don't want to throw too much shade on the big robotic process automation companies, mm. but, you know, it, it, They have presented a use case that I think is far more uh, prone to sort of, you know, end times prognostication on the future of humans in the workforce Mm -hmm. than something like marketing automation, support automation, et cetera. Right. Like if you if you deploy good automation inside a support function, customers are going to get answers quicker. Uh, customers can get things resolved quicker. Agents aren't going to be bogged down, you know, answering the same two or three questions over and over and over again, or having simple stuff make it to a you know a, a phone call for support. Mm-hmm. And then that when that way, when when a customer has a issue that requires that deeper level of thought, that requires that connection, that requires all the stuff that we sort of bundle into what we call you know good customer support. The agent's fresh, the agents, you know, they're, they're empowered. They have the information they need at their fingertips. They have the case in front of them with, you know, suggested responses or, or uh, updates to the, to the RMA or whatever it is. Right. And, and there's a, there's a lot of value there. You just have to, you just have to show it, right. You Mm -hmm. just have to, you have to make sure the people in your organization know that good is coming, show them the use cases that are positive, And then I think you get the buy-in, but, but you brought up an, a really interesting point when we were going back and, f- back and forth, booking this interview that I just absolutely adored. And I'm, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. And I'm going to read <laughs> exactly what you wrote. Usually I paraphrase. I think this is, I think this is good because this is just a very interesting question. Mm. The, the, The prompt was a proposed topic you'd like to talk about on the show. And you Mm -hmm. said, maybe the benefit of adopting automation to legacy workflows. I'm going through this right now, actually. And I just love that question because legacy workflows are often the jumping off point for automation. Mm -hmm. But they're also there's, there's, there's some legacy workflows and for for people who are just listening here, I'm using scare quotes here, but legacy workflows could be anything from, you know, very simple sort of rote stuff all the way to much larger go to market or, you know, strategic initiatives. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious when you, when, when you, when you wrote that down, what, what, what was it that you
1: had in mind? (laughs) Uh, so I guess like, Taking a step back, I'll I'll kind of give you some context into um, the state of the function that I walked into uh, versus kind of like where I'm trying to drive that ship currently. So, uh, you know, I I alluded to earlier that the growth of VHO is just just insurmountable as it concerns going from 15 people in August of 2020 to roughly excuse me, roughly over 320 now in August of 20 or September of 300, or excuse me, September of 2021. Wow. Um, so the growth is, is, has just been absolutely uh, unmatched in anything that I've ever been involved in, which was both a really interesting challenge and uh, uh, two, an opportunity to really kind of build from scratch in, in a high volume uh, environment. You know, the best way I kind of describe to people um, externally, at least as it concerns like the state of the support function, which, you know, of course, you don't know what you don't know until you get in and start to understand and ask the right questions to help you learn the scope and uh, where things currently are. But it was pretty apparent to me right out of the gate uh, that my team, uh, the best analogy I like to utilize is like, think of August of 2020 for the support structure uh, to be like this house made of sticks and mud, uh, which was, hey, it was great for August of 2020. Um, But here we are in September now of 2021, whereas a lot of the other functions in the organization have started to build these skyscrapers and in turn build this metropolitan area where the support team is just kind of starting to move out of this house of sticks and mud. So so we're in the process of really revamping a lot, which is inclusive of a lot of the legacy workflows that today are really manually done and or manually collaborated via Slack, which love you Slack, but working inside your tool as it concerns workflow, not the best use at all. All so, um, you know, one of the things I'm going through and have been for quite some time now is, like, great. How do we how do we change the workflows that my team has had to get really creative uh, and build to help them accomplish what they need to get done, but are no longer sustainable workflows given the volume and given the growth that this company has seen here in the past 13 months. It's it's proven to be a challenge, but, you know, one of the things I'm working on here is how do we leverage automation for a lot of these workflows? And and to give you like a, a good tangible example, yeah, um, I love that. you know, some of the workflows to date require us to uh, manually sit and watch a report and... At a certain time of sitting and watching that report, then we reach out and, and you know, reach out to a driver that may be what we called stalled, right? They may be hopefully not going would have not gotten to an accident or or maybe they're running into trouble on in the delivery route. But but that requires us to sit and watch this report for upwards of 60 minutes. Once 60 minutes hits, then we'll reach out to that driver and say, hey, do you need any assistance, right? And we have to balance that 60 minutes between, this may just be a driver who went off and got lunch or maybe went to go grab the kid from school, maybe just an intermittent errand versus, okay, something's actually wrong, we need to be proactive in figuring it out. A simple automation addition, I, I shouldn't say simple. What I would imagine to be simple because I'm not a coder and I like to make sure I preface this with me going, this is coming from zero engineering uh, knowledge other than HTML, which probably doesn't even count, uh, that if we had a way to trigger an alert to us when that 60 minute time frame hit, that allows us to respond quickly without wasting sixty minutes of just watching this report right and that's a little bit of a hyperbolic or excuse me um, hyperbolic example, but it's very realistic to a lot of the workflows that exist today that just require a lot of manual oversight um, with with a lot of uh, automation to be desired there yeah it's
0: it's interesting too because one of the ways that automation pays for itself right is the is the you know the, the the reduction of opportunity costs that you're not spending doing something manually and where you were or or V-O was in a year a year ago a year or so ago you may have one or two people experiencing you know a, a couple hours of disruption per day right now you have dozens of people maybe experiencing a disruption of 10 minutes a day, right? But the but the, the net effect of dozens or hundreds of people with 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 a smaller disruption versus a select few with with a larger one. This is exactly where computers and and technology and all you know all this stuff is is best served, right? Where you've got the 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 multiple multiple instances of something that's a common, repeatable process that can just be, you know, this is exactly what what what, what automation is, is is built for. Mm-hmm. In terms of that growth, I want to rabbit. Well, I'm going to start over. In terms of that growth, I want to take a bit of a tangent here, but I think it's sure. still very relevant to our conversation. And that is the onboarding of all those all those team members, that process obviously needs to get streamlined as well. How have you looked at automation, not just for customers, but also for your internal
1: team? Yeah. Um- Oh boy, where do we even start with that one? So I'll even talk about the onboarding piece as an example. Um, you know, onboarding as many people as we have in the organization—not even just the team—has um, required uh, the need to leverage more automation in general versus just the manual uh, work being done by our onboarding manager. So, like as an organization, we uh, have employed um, an external resource to help. Speed up the onboarding process that includes just adding to, to to as many channels in Slack, to adding a Gmail address, to adding them to a support stack of tools. Um, all of that process is now automated as well because it just became so overwhelming to have one person trying to manage, you know, an influx of new hires that all needed to be added to the different tools at different times, and uh, to where it just it just was not feasible anymore or scalable in general. So you know on the internal side as it concerns the team uh these are all things that i'm trying to get done today um just so i'm being able to service alerts faster to being able to let us know uh along the journey of an interaction here's the most recent conversations and what those conversation categories were so here's what might here's what this conversation that you're handling here's what it might be about or here's recent notes right this team i think is 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 has been super resilient um in the fact that they're really coming from nothing uh to what i'm hoping to be just like a whirlwind of changes for the better for them um to where they can really sort of reset the expectation and bar for what and how effective they can be based off of what tools internally they now have which are designed to enable them to do their work faster and and hopefully easier which in turn hopefully makes them happier
0: yeah in in your business is fairly distributed right i I, I imagine VO has at least. I'm assuming this is the case. You guys have sort of distribution centers, and like you know, obviously a driver in mm-hmm. St. Louis isn't going to deliver packages in Boulder. Right. Um, so you've got a, a a distributed workforce. Is your support team also distributed?
1: Yes, the entire support team is distributed across the country.
0: Interesting. And is that distribution, are they, I assume they're sort of providing support for the customers in the time zones in which they live Correct. Um, to some, to some degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is it global or just here in the United States? Just here in the U.S. to start with. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, wow. Yeah. You've got, a, a you know, f- what, four different time zones there, a multitude of different just cultural you know the the, <laughs> the 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 south is very different than the northeast which is very different than the pacific northwest right mm-hmm. so in terms of onboarding in terms of bringing these people onto the team getting them welcomed getting them up to speed and getting them effective is there a particular is there a particular thing that you know now that you wish someone would have told you in February before you started?
1: That's a really good question.
0: Cause you're, get, you're getting the like the, the, you know, the MBA crash course in <laughs> seven months kind of deal, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what would I tell myself if I, with the same knowledge I have now, if I started in February? You know, I think, I think one of the things that I would have loved to have known back then was just like how expansive the growth actually was uh, and what we want to do compared to um, what we currently are doing. You know, I think, you know, I had two different approaches in mind because I, I really was brought in to build something from nothing. Um, the team was all centralized. And by centralized, I mean, every person uh, was handling queries from all different parts of the country and, and, um, I was really brought into scale and and build a structure that did not exist today, not only to help support where we currently are, but you know, what the future holds as well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that needed to be built at once, a lot of things that still do need to be built um, today uh, that I think, you know, two approaches top of mind for me was as it concerns the structure. Okay. I know this centralized structure, at least from like what I understand the business and what we're going to be doing, the centralized structure of the support team will not work. Uh, what does that structure need to look like? So we're, uh, we're moving to or have moved to a regional structure um, to where you look at the Northeast, Southeast, Midwest will be split in half upper and lower and the West will be split in half upper and lower as well, or Northern and Southern. Um, So, one of the things that I was like, okay, I need to be prepared to, to make a decision depending on how quickly we're expected to grow. Are we looking to do one, or two, one market a month, one market every two months? Or are we looking to do like two markets a month? Because that's going to very much dictate the speed of which this org needs to be built. Do I have the time to build it from the ground up? And that may be conducive to one market every, I don't know, two months? Or do I not have the time because we want to do two markets or three markets a month, which is really kind of what informs a top-down decision? Nope, I don't have the time. So, so let's go, senior leader, senior leader, senior leader. You are accountable for building your team underneath you with with guidance from me. So, so I think like a breath of understanding. Like, how quickly are we looking to move here? Because that also just prioritizes what what workflows and, and additions to, to the tech stack need to be prioritized over what maybe didn't exist before. Is most support
0: driven in the um, in the deliver the drivers app? Correct.
1: Yep. So you've got the, the drivers who, who are on the road, who have complications with the delivery. Maybe they need a gate code that's different than what was provided in the instruction, or uh, maybe they have, uh, they got into a car accident or, or God forbid something happened to them that we need to kind of send uh, a different driver out to collect those packages and, and continue the delivery process. But yeah, that's where a good portion of contacts come from is that side of the house. And then on the other side of the house, you have our customer support group who's dealing with the customers receiving those parcels, who in most cases don't have have problems unless something went wrong with the delivery. And that's, of course, where we jump in on that side of the house and handle it from that perspective.
0: Got it. Oh, so you're so you're putting your you're the end retailers customers. If I order a package from um, Shine State and I get a I I get it and I have issues with delivery that goes to to Veho.
1: That goes to us because we uh, are uh, the ones handling the
0: delivery for uh, that client. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, so you really are sort of dealing with kinda of every every way that there could be a support use case you guys are dealing with, right? It's
1: B2B and B2C all in the same.
0: Yeah. Well that's the that's the power of a good a good sort of marketplace or um, sort of on-demand type application like this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that's 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 the nature of the business. It's that's also what enables such explosive growth. Yep. Um, you know that's it's funny I hearing your stories, I'm thinking of the old adage like building the airplane in the air Well, you're talking about sort of building a a lunar lander on its (laughs) way, kind of on its (laughs) way to the moon. Um, So there's a lot that can, there's a lot that can go, that can go wrong. There's also a lot of options for just like, you know, you've got, you've got, you've got resources at your disposal with that kind of growth to, to solve the problems you need to solve. Right. Mm -hmm. When you look at a workflow and you looking at how you're going to bring automation into it, what's your process? Do you? Diagram the thing out first. You go on a listening tour to sort of build out all possible permutations. Like, kind of walk me through how you how you approach bringing in automation from like identifying the the point that maybe needs to get automated to going through the build versus buy decision to, mm-hmm. to just the whole thing. I'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah, so I think my first step usually involves listening um, because. Nine times out of ten, that workflow was created for a specific reason. Uh, that maybe what maybe, you know, what I might be privy to coming from the outside and on a very quick level. So understanding, like, okay, what is this workflow? Like, what was the problem? This workflow is built to solve, and how is this workflow uh, evolving as it concerns scale, or is it not evolving? And that's the problem. Um, you know, we uh, we have a lot of workflows that do not scale. And I think we just happened to find that out very quickly because of the the growth that we went on uh, in about a year. And um, we certainly are a bit behind as it concerns reoptimizing optimizing those workflows to match the scale of where we are today. But learning and understanding why those exist, I think has always been the first and foremost piece, probably because there's also just so much nuance to things um, that unless I probably spent like a six months in the role, like handling context, like I don't think I would ever understand like as many nuances that exist, so. right. Learning from as many uh, folks at work in that workflow consistently is super helpful. Um, And then number two, I think, is like one of the things we do as an organization, which I'm sure is not necessarily proprietary, but um, is, is we try to understand what can the MVP version of that automation look like, right? Sure, there's probably more idealistic ways to do things that, you know, are very pretty and, and can do everything that we want it to do. But uh, what's, the, what's the adage? Uh, Rome wasn't built in the day. Uh, so automation is probably the same, right? Where you start with exactly. with one step to progress you forward uh, to get to kind of what that overall evolutional idea um, looks like. So understanding, okay, like what is the smallest lift tip? Pro tip for those of us that work with the engineering team, uh, that's equally as helpful as well as if you can identify what is a low lift um evolution that not only doesn't require a ton of work from engineering but also helps your support team or your team in general go one step beyond where they currently are i think is a win-win um so understanding like what that mvp might look like um is super helpful um and that'll help you understand like okay what does that need to be prioritized amongst engineering's uh, slew of things that they're being asked to complete from several different functions across the org but as well as don't necessarily break the workflow if you were to move to something automation and adds uh, a bit of value to it, even if it's a little small amount of value, add some value to it. Um, you know, you, you talked about the build versus buy uh, component of like automation. And that's a really interesting one, because, you know, a lot of us, I think, in the support industry um, don't really always have the option to, to build or buy, um, which is unfortunate, right? Because you can only do so much as it concerns your support team and being as effective as it can be. So sometimes you have to sort of position your leadership to think, hey, we either have to build this or we have to buy this or we just have to deal with the consequences of not having it. And here's what those consequences are. Um, but, you know, the build versus buy process, I think is, is equally as important, especially if you get that as a resource, right? You can say, okay, great. Understanding what are the, the must haves, as it concerns uh, a feature parity, right? If moving to this tool is going to put us behind two steps versus forward one step, then is that really worth it? Um, as I as I kind of talk about feature parity, and then the other there is is if we move to this, what's the impact going to be? Not just for for this team, but for any other function that may have some sort of collaboration with this workflow or this process um, that needs to be able to work or, or that has to be able to work. Um, and that's a lot of what we deal with here is that, you know, we aren't the only team that utilizes or the, we aren't the only function in the organization um, that utilizes some of the tools or workflows. Sure, we utilize like 98 percent of them. Um, but then there's the remaining two that may impact our teams on the field in Atlanta or in uh, in Philadelphia that we have to be pretty considerate about. Um, so the build versus buy process is, is pretty uh, ingrained to understand. Great. What are we losing by grabbing this tool? What are we gaining? Um, and and if we don't do it, then what's the outcome there as well? Um, so that there's there's a, it was a very like high high 30,000 foot picture view but hopefully that gives you some context in terms of like how I think through um evolutions which I will say what's nice about the um regional structure that's kind of being built out here is is two things number one everybody across the country is doing the same thing um which from a standpoint of standardization and, and workflows and processes that's that's in theory, very straightforward to do. But I think the bigger additive there is we can do our own internal testing Uh, of different workflows and optimizations to see the impact before rolling it out to the entire country. So if we say, hey, you know what, let's try this new automation with the Northeast support team. Let's see how it works out. If it does work out well, then great. All the other regions across the country will now have that same workflow. So we get to, in theory, build that and test our own workflows as we get more mature here to figure out what works best without it actually impacting the entire organization uh, for the first time uh, in a negative fashion, which is kind of cool, I think.
0: That's incredibly insightful. The ability to effectively split test what you're doing and rolling it out in phases is a is a major uh, advantage for you guys. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Wrapping up here, when you think about the future of support automation, what excites you the most? That it's not going anywhere. Um,
1: Love it. That's always nice to know. Is that like we aren't building what is today to only be scrapped and thrown out in another 10 years. I had a, I did a podcast with someone where we were talking about just like how, like the timing of changes in the industry and like how often that occurs. And I was like, you know, I'm pretty, I feel like changes in the support industry come like once every 10 years. Um, But when they do come, maybe once every eight or ten years, but when they do get here, they're pretty revolutionary. Um, Think back to like uh, when chat took over. Right. Telephony was not only was no longer like the single method of answering things quickly. Chat made a pretty big presence. And then we had Omnichannel and and now we're having more uh, chat bots. Right. We're having A.I. and machine learning. So it, it definitely takes a longer time for some of the more advanced things to catch on, but when they do, um, it's super interesting to see how different organizations leverage those tools uh, and different means of of the customer experience. So I'm looking forward to like, what other ways can we progress um, in the customer experience industry to not only give the right experience to the customers at the end, um, but how do we impact the internal experience as well? And I think automation is certainly here to stay. So I'm excited to see what other evolutions it goes through.
0: Yeah, I am also in full agreement that automation is here to stay. It's, it's, (laughs) we're, we're definitely not like, this is a Rubicon that has been, that has been, been crossed. Right. Um, so Antonio, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. This was, this has been fascinating. I want to wrap up here with our quick fire round. Mm. So my first question for you is what's the book that you most often, often recommend to people? The effortless experience. The effortless experience. Who's it by? Uh oh boy! Of course, I don't have the. Can
1: I turn around? This is it on my desk? Uh... Yeah, go
0: for it. I'm gonna I'm gonna clicky clack and Google it here really quick. It
1: is not. I think of course I loaned it to someone, which reminds me I should get that back. Well, that, uh... then that that proves it's your uh, it's your <laughs> most
0: it's your most uh, recommended Matthew Dixon, Nick Dixon, Torman, Rick DeLisi. Yep. Yeah, Nick Torman, Rick DeLisi, and Matthew Dixon. Um, Interesting. What's what what is it about it that that causes it to be the one that you you most often recommend?
1: Yeah, this this book actually is kind of like I read it and I continue to read it, but read it for the first time back in 2016, maybe 2015. Um, And the book basically defines that, you know, customer satisfaction does not necessarily equate to loyalty. Mm. um but what does uh, is your customer effort how much effort are customers having to exhaust to get their problem solved that's much more indicative of loyalty to- i've i've been fortunate to speak at a couple of different conferences, support conferences on this, this topic exactly. And like how mm-hmm. we've leveraged it in the past and kind of what the benefits have been for us, but it gives you just a different perspective on how do you channel, uh, improvement for not only the support organization that you oversee, but just the experience in general that ultimately sometimes we don't really feel like we have a lot of control over, um, right. So that gives you just a different avenue to tackle as it concerns making things uh, the more ideal experience that you can, can directly uh, impact as a support leader.
0: Love it. And next question in the in the quick fire around here is: What's the best productivity hack, tip, trick that you've ever heard that you've implemented and found successful?
1: Yeah, maybe I'll give you one that's not necessarily as as tactical as as folks might be envisioning, but I think coming from like a. Leadership role, especially for other leaders that might be listening, this is super important. Um, and that's delegate. Mm-hmm. Delegate more often. I kind of I yes. think like the rule of thumb I give not only myself but the teams that I get to to kind of work alongside is: if you find yourself maxing out more than hundred percent, then that means you aren't delegating enough. Um, so delegate let go of the reins sure it might not be done the way that you envision it but that's okay everyone has their own individual style and as long as the quality is what's expected and the timeliness is what it's expected that's all that really should matter as it concerns delegation so delegate more and that's how you'll get a better work-life balance I think it's just super important it's extremely important
0: one of the best decisions I've made recently is I've, in my task management for the week, I have this really great Notion dashboard I've built for myself. Where I bring a task in, and when I create a new task, I have to fill out the urgency and the importance—either mm-hmm. urgent, not urgent; important, not ur- not important—which then basically assigns it to a quadrant in the Eisenhower matrix of you know do first, delegate, decide later, or, or you know exterminate, and it is so helpful to have a sober conversation with myself on what I should delegate versus, you know, what I should take on for myself. And I tell my managers do the exact same thing. And, you know, this isn't, this doesn't create a, you know, everything rolls downhill type situation. Like we -hmm. all still do plenty of work, but if, if you ha- if some task is gets from you know the CMO all the way through to you know your new hire marketing associate, and it still should be delegated all the way down, like maybe that task isn't that important in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, love it. To, to close this up here, if you could take any person in the in 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 the world of support or or business or even life in general, out for either coffee or a cocktail, depending on the time of the day and mm-hmm. or the vibe, um, who would it be?
1: It would probably probably be uh, Ali Rail, who is uh, Slack's VP of customer experience. And I say Ali because Slack is just, I mean, no stranger to any of us, but Slack has just been incredible in the growth they've gone through, um, which is kind of funny because I I was, before Slack became Slack, they were um, a gaming company out of Ontario called TinySpec. And I remember looking into doing some work with them to help them build out their moderation and and trust and safety piece. So kind of funny to see them like spin the wheel and go to Slack, which obviously was the correct decision for them. Uh, But Allie has had to endure so, I say Allie as if I know her. I don't know, I've never talked to her, but she's had to endure so much growth as it concerns like, Building that structure from the ground up and supporting its explosiveness from domestic to international customers to 24-hour models, you know, it, it, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in that organization to see how that function uh, functions, candidly, because they they have so many, I'm sure, sub functions that I'd be curious, you know, when did you decide this was the right moment to do X or Y or, or what were some things that you learned, you know, Uh, that you would have loved to have learned outright versus taking a year, two years to have learned in that fast of a growing organization. So would love to to learn more and pick her brain. Yeah. They're an incredible
0: example. And one of the only ones really of something that, you know, materialized into the world. And then, you know, 10 years later is, is damn near ubiquitous. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So uh, kudos to them. You're right. That would be an incredible conversation. <laughs> this was also an incredible conversation. And Antonio, thank you for coming on the support automation show. Um, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you or, or Vijo where, where? yeah, yeah. You can uh, go.
1: <laughs> LinkedIn is, a really good, uh, good starting point. And, or if, if folks in here are, are uh, really keen on joining uh, communities that are helpful. I've been a part of one called Support Driven for quite some time. Yes, now, they're fantastic. Slack, yeah, yeah. Slack based community. If you're in there, you can tag me at Tones. Most people call me Tones, so feel free to call me whichever name is the easiest for you to remember. But if you're in that Slack uh, for Support Driven, at Tones will be the way to get a hold of me. Otherwise, LinkedIn is also a good approach too. Support driven is a
0: fantastic community. I'm in there myself as a as a vendor. I I, I typically watch more and and listen more than I I I, I type. But sure. it, that is a absolutely that's that's one of the gold standard um, support <laughs> communities. I agree with you. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time today. I hope you have a a marvelous um, short week here, and we'll we'll chat again soon, Antonio. Thank you,
1: Justin. it Was a pleasure. You take care, and we'll speak soon. Cheers.
0: The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit Capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find the show by searching for Support Automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.